0: Hey, you guys, and welcome back to the news du jour, a calmer space to consume the news. So, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to thank and acknowledge our sponsors. Do you have a lingering skin issue that you can't seem to get rid of? Have you ever thought about going to see a skincare professional and then thought, when would I ever have time for that and won't it be expensive? If that's you, I've got you. Protea is a woman owned beauty business based out of Virginia. But here's the thing, they specialize in virtual skincare, so you can be on the couch in your sweatpants, you don't have to go anywhere, but you can get top-of-the-line advice within your budget and guidance from a trained skincare professional called an esthetician. They also have a top-of-the-line cruelty-free skincare line that is produced here in the US, so they can recommend products that they know will work for your skin. Your personal skincare professional will always recommend the products that are best fit for your skin, but if that happens to be a Protea product, they donate a Skin Confidence skincare kit to an unhoused woman for every purchase. Y'all, I could cry. I love supporting a business that is both woman-owned and gives back. When you support them, you support our podcast. Book your consultation today at www.protea.com. And for our first mini story today, I wanted to update you guys that at the time I'm headed in to record this, I just got some breaking news that two more hostages have been released by Hamas. This makes four hostages that have been released in total. I don't have a ton of information at this time because I haven't been able to dive deep into the story or get any of the details, and there's limited details known to begin with because, again, the story is just now breaking, but it has been confirmed by the Red Cross, Washington Post, and New York Times that two more hostages have been released. There's also a big negotiation going on right now between Israel and Hamas about fuel, Essentially, fuel is necessary for hospitals and civilians to run um, and like live their lives in a very basic way. So they need fuel. However, Hamas is known for taking fuel that comes in as humanitarian aid and using it to attack Israel. So that's where the Israeli government is hesitant to send the fuel in. But those negotiations are ongoing. Israel's asking for all of the remainder of the hostages to be released in exchange for this fuel. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. And of course, we will keep you guys posted all along the way. The remainder of today's episode is going to be focused on Israel and news to do with Israel. So let's jump in. First and foremost, ground invasion, question mark. So there was supposed to be this massive ground invasion into Gaza from Israel, an all-out real-life war. But that hasn't happened yet. Why not? Well, according to the New York Times, the U.S. has asked Israel to put things on pause for now. There are still hostages, obviously, like we just touched on, you know, probably close to 200 being held by the exact terrorists that Israel is looking to kill. And with so many civilians in the way, this is putting so many innocent lives in danger between the Palestinian civilians and children and the Israeli hostages. These people shouldn't be caught in the middle. What's more, bringing in a ground affront would certainly give surrounding Arab nations more of a motivator to join the fight themselves and possibly lead us into a bigger regional conflict, which would draw in other allies into the fight and bring us closer to a World War III scenario. And the last piece is that the U.S. wants to make sure that aid is allowed to flow into Gaza. Gaza. Obviously, there is not enough aid there yet to sustain people. So they're asking Israel to also hold off on that ground invasion while they get aid up and flowing into the country, you know, set up better systems to address people's very basic needs in southern Gaza. That said, the color of Gaza today is gray, you guys. Gray dust, gray ash, gray rubble, gray faces. Gray water flowing with gray tears. According to the AP, Israel has been ramping up its airstrikes, especially in the north. And like we said, the ground offensive is on pause for now. But the Washington Post has reported that the death toll in Gaza has now topped 5,000 people. So this conflict is worsening even without a ground invasion. We'll definitely keep you guys posted if it looks like that ground invasion is imminent. And I also wanted to talk a lot today about the New York Times non-apology apology note thing that they posted because I feel like it's really relevant to what we're doing here on the podcast and just news media in general and bigger conversations about war in the digital age. So let's jump in. In the wake of the quote-unquote hospital explosion in Gaza, there was a lot of poor reporting done throughout the U.S. news media system, maybe worse than ever before. Let me explain. News outlets were told that a hospital had been bombed in Gaza and that at least 500 people were dead, maybe as many as a thousand, and that Israel had done it. It seemed possible because, hey, Israel has declared war on Hamas and has been exploding a lot of buildings in Gaza as of late. But the thing is, the group that was telling the Western press this information was the Palestinian Health Ministry, and that's who they cited. But the thing is, the Palestinian Health Ministry. Is essentially run by Hamas as they are the leadership in Gaza. But rather than examining this source more carefully or emphasizing that their coverage, that Hamas was the source of their coverage, they presented this information as fact on its face. And now we know that almost none of it was true. Every piece of the story told by Hamas was either completely incorrect or exaggerated greatly. Let's start with the death toll. Hamas said that 500 to 1,000 people had died. Now, Western news outlets are walking that back and saying based on research and lists made and counting that only 100 to 300 people died. So this number was certainly exaggerated as the real death toll was about half of what was being reported or even less. Hamas is also saying that the hospital was hit. Of course, that's the news we all got was that this hospital was hit. That was a straight up lie. The hospital parking lot and a park next to it were what was hit. The hospital was not hit. It suffered zero structural damage and remains completely operational. But the worst piece, of course, was that the blast was blamed on Israel right away. And now we know, based on a ton of evidence from phone calls made by the people who did it, to the trajectory of the rocket and video footage that has been inspected by not only the U.S. military, but all of these news outlets independently, Israel did not send this rocket. But a press organization like the New York Times rushing to cover this story before knowing all the facts can lead to really dire consequences as it motivates violence and anger against Jews globally. And now to this very day, there are people who still think Israel did this and that a hospital was bombed. And they are insisting that all over the internet, even though it has been completely debunked. Once a falsehood like this catches wind and is, you know, broadcast out to the greater public, it can be really hard to walk back. It's really difficult to prove a negative, if not completely impossible. A great podcast that explores this exact issue is called Tiffany Dover is Dead. Highly recommend it. It's basically the journey of a reporter journalist to prove that this young woman who was alive and well was in fact alive and well and how people just refuse to believe this no matter how much evidence was piled on top of it because news of her death had caught wind so broadly it's really fascinating in the digital age how something that seems to be true can even though it's not can basically catch wind and become kind of stuck in people's minds. But circling back to what the New York Times had put out into the world, they issued a note today about this vastly false reporting. It wasn't an apology. They were not apologizing, but simply explaining that they had been operating based off the information they had at the time. And they did cite the Palestinian health ministry as the source, and that's who they had gotten their information from. But for an organization as prominent and respected as this to even say anything means they know they got it wrong. They know they fucked up with the story and they sought to correct all of the falsehoods in this post to make sure everybody knew what the facts really were. They ended off this note by saying, quote, newsroom leaders continue to examine procedures around the biggest breaking news events, including for the use of the largest headlines in the digital report to determine what additional safeguards may be warranted, end quote. So basically saying in that last sentence, we may need to take additional steps to make sure that this doesn't happen again. We have never had war events of this magnitude, this high of stakes happening in the digital age. We haven't had essentially a world war burgeoning during the digital age. Newsrooms elbow each other to be the first to click post and break a headline. But when does that start to interfere with the accuracy of their reporting? As a one-woman show here at News Du Jour, I really rely on the reporting of bigger news outlets who have fact-checking teams and boots on the ground in these places. What we do here is more like digesting the news for you, you know, breaking down news stories so that you can get the facts from a bunch of different news sources all in one place, all in 10 to 15 minutes. But here today, I actually would like to apologize. The New York Times may have stopped short of an apology, but I am sorry that I reported something to you guys that wasn't true. And I wish I had a way to fact check things from the ground myself. I don't yet. Maybe one day we will. That would be really cool. That is my goal um, is to grow this podcast to be able to have teams like that. But my promise to you is that I will always explain to you where the news is coming from, that I will always seek the facts above all else and read sources on both sides of any situation, and I will always issue corrections at the top of the episode when they are warranted. They will not be buried at the bottom. So long story short, I want you guys to feel like you trust us with your news and I assume that's why you're here. But if you ever have any questions or concerns when it comes to how we are reporting, where we are gathering our facts from, please shoot us a message or an email. All of our contact info is in the show notes. This show seeks to support peace and understanding for all peoples everywhere, and I would never do anything to intentionally bring harm to the Jewish community or any other community. And that for today is the News Du Jour. Today, I wanted to leave you guys with the quote. The children are always ours, every single one of them all over the globe. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use to listen. A rate and review on that platform or a shout out on social media would mean the world to us and help us to be able to keep creating the news du jour and reach more people who need a calmer space to consume the news. But the best way to support all of our work is to become a patron at www.patreon.com. Forward slash sugar free media, and that is also linked in our show notes. You can follow us on social media at newsdujour.podcast on both Instagram and TikTok. You can follow my personal account at its annie itsannybowls on both platforms as well. Any little noises you may hear in the background are my rescue pup. He has a little separation anxiety and always records with me. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Du Jour. Broadcasting from.